You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. What happens when the story you're living clashes with the story you are telling to the world? That depends on who you are. You can ignore the truth until something really bad happens to you, or you can face the truth and create a new story that you're proud to live into and tell to the world. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I believe, as you know, that readers are leaders. That's why I've chosen Audible as our sponsor. They're offering you, the listeners of this show, a downloadable, free audiobook of your choice. You get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. I love getting comments from the listeners, from you, the storytellers. Different opinions, different takeaways, different moments of inspiration. Keep those ideas coming and also your comments about what you'd like to see in this show going forward. Send them to loseclub at gmail.com. That's L-O-U-S-C-L-U-B at gmail.com. And if you're a regular listener, you're obviously getting some value from this show. Let other people know about that and increase the visibility of the show. Pay it forward by paying a visit to iTunes and leaving a brief review sharing your takeaways, and at the same time, give us a five-star rating, and thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest is a man who faced his truth and created an empowering story that can also empower you. He is a self-confessed serial entrepreneur who is part CEO, part personal development wonk, and part biohacker info geek. How's that for a combo? And in case you're wondering, a wonk is a hard-working, studious person. He lives by the belief that you are not doing well unless you're also doing some good. His company, Staviva Brands, now known as Icon Foods, is built on the principle of do the right thing. And no, we're not talking about the Spike Lee movie. His company's vision is to help you achieve and maintain great health by discovering healthy alternatives to sugar. Get ready to feel great and learn some stuff from Tom King. Tom, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Thanks, Lewis. That was really, that was a great intro. I hope I can live up to it. But you already have. <laughs> because all, Thank I, you, kind sir. all I did was put it on paper, but you lived it. So, okay, so... First thing I want to know is, did you have a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, matter of fact, I did. Uh, so I grew up in Colorado, 
um, I grew up on a ranch in Colorado, and um, I at night used to um, listen to this little portable radio while my parents, you know, were asleep and insisting that I was asleep. And I used to listen to that radio, and I wanted to be on the radio, like I wanted to be involved in that. Hmm. So, do you have a podcast right now? I don't have a podcast. I've had several people try to convince me to start one, and I think at some point in time I will. But I mean, I I wrote a book that just came out in in May, and we're still promoting that. And then I also have a line of uh, of keto friendly condiments that that we uh, we just released last month. So it's like my plate is super full right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably, I would say probably Q1 of next year, uh, I'll, I'll start looking into it for sure. Well, Tom, the podcast will not only let you start living your childhood dream, but it will promote your book like crazy. Hmm. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea then. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So how, how did you actually become a serial entrepreneur? Well, I'm a I'm actually a fifth generation entrepreneur. My my great grandfather owned an awning awning company and and actually made the made tents for the U.S. military in World War One. And then my great grandfather um, that was my great great grandfather and my great grandfather made tents for the U.S. government uh, U.S. Army in in World War Two. And then my grandfather had an awning company, and he made a lot of the uh, field covers, the tarps, and the bags for NFL and Major League Baseball. My dad had a a construction company, so I think that it's burned into my DNA. Mm, nice, that's good. What inspired you to begin Steviva? Um. So I was I was living in Arizona. It was 1989, and I just moved there um, and started uh, started a career in in broadcast, and not on on the microphone side, but actually in the sales side of things. And I ran into a gentleman who owned a uh, like a small herb company, and he used to travel the world looking for a variety of different types of uh, herbs that had sort of a medicinal quality to them. And, um, you know, I ran into him while I was out pitching, pitching radio commercials. And he asked me to try this little vial of crushed up leaves that he had. Um, I thought, what the heck? So I tried it and I was like blown away by how sweet it was. It was probably 25 times sweeter, um, you know, uh, than sugar in, in its just natural state like that. And yeah, so a light bulb went off and the wheel started turning and I thought there's got to be a way to extract these sweet constituents from the, from this leaf and actually create like a natural version of like NutraSweet or something. Also because it's um, beneficial for you. I mean, it's, it's actually not harmful to your health is what I mean. Yeah, I mean it it's not at all. So like this is, you know, this this was stevia and in you know, the leaves the the leaves in their natural state have some medicinal properties, but when you extract the sweet constituents, those medicinal properties are gone, but it is about 200 times sweeter than sugar and doesn't affect blood sugar levels or or ketones or or anything else and it's uh, it's probably a good for you sweetener. Isn't it also like zero calories? 
Yeah, it has zero calories, zero carbs. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a cheat food that you can have any time. Wow. So, why were you not living up to the ideal that you believed in and were promoting? That's 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 a really good question. So, I you know at, at, since since I was a kid, I've sort of struggled with what I called yo-yo weight. So my weight would go up, my weight would go down, you know, and I've always struggled with it. And I never really was very committed to, you know, to diet and fitness. And, you know, flash forward, you know, 20 years, um, and I'd been doing the up and down weight thing for a long time. And, you know, I owned a sweetener company that that caters to, you know, fitness and and keto and and low carb, um, but I I wasn't living that myself, and that sort of uh, became apparent to me. I was in Las Vegas for a trade show and uh, went out with some uh, some customers and just had you know a debaucherous meal, uh, finished it off a dessert, and then went back to my room um, and looked in the mirror, and it's like you're you're a fraud. You know you're living. <laughs> you're living a lie. You you have a company that promotes a healthy lifestyle, and your your lifestyle is anything but healthy at that point. My blood pressure was super high. I was carrying 35 pounds of extra weight, and at that point, I just said, "This has got to come to an end." And that's when I fully committed to living a ketogenic lifestyle. In mm. your book, you describe that you were standing in front of the mirror, right? Yeah, I was standing in front of the mirror, and then, I mean, that's when it became very apparent. You know, I was carrying a, a lot of extra weight. My blood pressure was 199 over 90. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I was just really unhealthy, and I think I was pretty unhappy. I did, was in the process of going through a very expensive divorce, you know, and I, at that point in time, it's like, you know, I want to, I want to change my story. Mm. And that that began the journey. That began when I, that, you know, commenced the writing of the book. Um, you know, me adopting, you know, meditation, yoga, daily workout. Um, and probably the thing that has impacted my life the greatest is, uh, is a commitment to daily journaling. I've heard that a lot from people. Um, you familiar with Dan Sullivan? Mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, uh, he kept a journal for 25 years without, I think he said that in the 25 years there were only 12 days that he didn't write in it, and he was writing his vision down every day, uh, living into what he wanted, and mm-hmm. made it a reality. It's quite powerful. So now it's great that you made this decision, but what obstacles did you have to overcome to actually achieve your goal? Um, well, the obstacles that I had to overcome were, were myself and it was making a shift in my mindset. Um, it was also breaking bad habits. Like I made a habit of, you know, drinking a bottle of wine at night and made a habit of eating pizza and, you know, basically snacking and filling my face. So the obstacle was myself and my ops and, you know, in the, in the words of, uh, of, um, of the great Stoics, you know, the ego is the enemy, and 
I really had to work on breaking down my ego and getting to the, you know, to the, to the basics of, of who I was. And that also was a process of associating so much pain with my bad habits and my bad behavior that, uh, that it negated the, the joy and the satisfaction that I was deriving from them. I love that. And I know that you're, um, one of your inspirations is Anthony Robbins, as, as he is mm-hmm. with me. What you just described, you're probably familiar with his uh, Dickens exercise. Mm, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's great. I was in one of his cl- courses uh, mm. where he was doing that with us. It was quite fascinating. Basically, a lot, letting you experience what Scrooge experienced when the ghosts of Christmas past came into his life and, and, and make you feel that pain that what your life will be like if you don't change. And it's, it's quite, it's quite powerful. It works. It, it does. And you know, the thing is, is that pain is something, something you can leverage. Like you can really leverage pain into, you know, into changing habits that you have or behaviors or even thought patterns. I mean, suffering, I mean, I don't really condone suffering. I think suffering is sort of a choice, but definitely, you know, anytime you are experiencing pain, I mean, I know for myself, like I'll walk into it, meaning I want to know, you know, what is triggering this pain, you know, and what I can leverage out of it and what I can learn and and how I can grow from it. That's, that's really wise. You mentioned the Stoics. I think you may be, you probably have read Ryan Holiday's books. Uh, I read, I read the Daily Stoic every day. So. Uh, uh, okay. <laughs> Cause he actually, he wrote, he wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy. And I think, and yes. yeah. Um, yeah, leveraging pain. It's interesting what you said too about suffering being a choice. I used to wear a, a t-shirt that I got out of a personal development course. And the t-shirt said, struggle is optional. <laughs> and it's true. It is true. true. It is, yeah. I mean, that's struggling, suffering. I mean, those are all options. I mean, if you can, you know, if you find your source of pain, you know, and you really leverage the crap out of it to change a bad habit, I mean, you're, you're not going to struggle and, you know, you shouldn't suffer after that. Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, we're all... We've been brought up in a culture that teaches us that, no, that's the way life is. I remember my father used to say, you know, we all have our cross to bear. And I bought that for a long time. And one day I said, wait a minute. Are you kidding me? I'm throwing this cross off my shoulders. If somebody else wants to carry it, let them have it. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I mean, and part of my journaling process, too, is is forgiveness. And I think that a lot of times the the cross that people do bear is holding grudges, um, you know, and not forgiving people. And, and I think that that also includes forgiving yourself. Like, and that's that part of my process of, you know, of changing my mindset and changing my lifestyle was purely about forgiving myself, like forgiving myself for pain and suffering, you know, for self-destructive behaviors and like, and letting that go. So I, you know, I support forgiveness in a big way. You, are you familiar with the book Radical Forgiveness? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's in my repertoire. Yeah, I have it as an audio book. It's quite, it's quite nice. powerful. Is there an obesity mindset 
And if there is, can you describe it? Um, well, I think that the obesity mindset is, is really the mindset of living to eat rather than eating to live. So I think that food, as with any, with any, like, drink or experience, I mean, food can be as addictive as, probably more addictive, uh, than, you know, than just about anything out there. You know, it triggers your pleasure zones. And so I think as far as the obesity, you know, mindset goes, it is, it is using food to self-medicate. Um, I think that if people can break that habit, um, I think that that's a, a great step in, in being able to, you know, address obesity. I love what you said about it being um, one of the most powerful addictions. And I think the, one of the reasons is that it's so encouraged is so much in our society that promotes that. In fact, can you talk about that? How does society promote food addiction? Um, well, I think that it, it's not just food addiction. I think it's all addictions. I mean, when, you know, with, with food, like I try to fast like once a quarter, um, at least 36 hours. And I find that, you know, when I'm, when I'm fasting, I'm a lot more aware of what's going on. And part of the thing that I'm like truly aware of is, uh, is like all the commercials. Like you constantly see, you know, commercials for, you know, for different burger joints and different chicken. And I mean, food is constantly pushed in our face. And the fact is that a lot of the food, a lot of the processed food contains sugar, you know, and they have found that sugar is, is just as addictive as cocaine, you know, in the pleasure zones of your brain. So, I mean, I think that that uh, is the way that, you know, overeating and overindulgence is, is promoted. And additionally, with alcohol, um, you know, when you're going to meet your friends, you're going out for a drink. Um, you know, and alcohol is one of those things that's really, you know, that's really accepted and actually, you know, is sort of a, so a social lubricant, if you will. Um, and that contains a ton of sugar. And I think all of those combined really, you know, really push, you know, what I call diabetes, which is being diabetic and obese at the same time. Mm, and that's a good insight. You are you familiar with the book Sugar Blues? I am. Mm. Yes. I think it would make a great movie by the way. <laughs> I absolutely I I agree with you 100%. I mean, there's a lot of things that go on with sugar. I mean, number 1, you know, your brain chemistry is altered, but the the other thing that happens too is like when you're feeding your body so much sugar, uh your gut flora, you know, your microbiome uh adjusts to it meaning that you start accumulating more bacteria in your in your gut that that starts demanding more sugar um you know and the largest nerve in your your body is the vagus nerve and that actually runs from your stomach right to your brain so your brain is your gut's going to constantly be sending messages you know i need more sugar i need need more sugar so when you get those gangsters in that village um, you, it's time for a reset and cleaning out the sugar. Mm -hmm. 
like that image. <laughs> so we've touched on it a bit, but can you expand a bit on why you think obesity has become a global epidemic? Um, I th- why has it become a global global mm-hmm. epidemic is yeah. is purely sugar. Um, you know, sugar and refined carbohydrates. So when you look at sugar is probably the biggest culprit in, in, you know, in the global, uh, diabesity, uh, epidemic. Um, and mostly because it's cheap and it's a subsidized crop. And once people, you know, once people bring it into their diet, they're just going to want more and more and more. So, um, I mean, on a global basis, you're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of countries, particularly the UK, that are putting taxes on, uh, you know, on sugary drinks. You've got several cities in the United States. You've got Berkeley, Manhattan, you know, that are putting, they've put taxes on, you know, on sugary drinks. So, I mean, I think that it's pretty clear that sugar is the culprit in this. And I think that a lot of, you know, more advanced countries, uh, are taking measures to to see if they can curtail that. You know, you just touched on something though. When I was studying economics, they had this mm. fascinating. There, you talk about supply and demand. That's fairly obvious on the surface, but then they talked about an elastic demand curve. Mm. When it's a product that people are addicted to, it doesn't play by the rules of supply and demand. You can keep raising the price, people will still keep buying it. So who really benefits? The taxes go into the government's pockets, but thing is, it's the, the example they used is uh, tobacco, cigarettes. You know, I mean, doesn't matter. They can charge $25 for a pack of cigarettes. People who are addicted to it will find the 25 bucks. It's like the heroin addict who will you know, risk his life by robbing someone or even risk someone else's life in order to get money for a fix. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's deep. I, I mean, that, you, you took me on a big journey there. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's exactly the case with sugar. I mean, it easily could be because it is addictive. I'd say the one component, um, with sugar, you know, that goes outside of the supply and demand end of things are subsidies, you know, like the sugar beet industry, sugar cane industry, like the sugar industry and the corn industry, you know, where a lot of like where the high fructose corn syrup comes from, um, those are heavily subsidized. So there, you know, there, there's always going to be profit in it, whether, you know, the, they're making the profit off the actual commodity or whether they're making the profit off of the subsidy checks that they're getting from the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Part of what I, hear this, this out about, about one of the reasons I think that there's a, an obesity epidemic. It's ironic that abundance, we live in a very abundant world, mm. but abundance gives us an overwhelming amount of choices. And because we have so many choices and things are so easy to get, people will just go with the path of least resistance and make a lot of bad choices. Don't even think about them. Because, you know, like we're talking about food being on TV. I mean, all you got to do is leave your house. It's the moment you get a craving, you can satisfy it within seconds. 
Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, you're bringing up some really, really interesting, interesting points. I mean, very thought provoking. Like, when you say that there's, you know, abundance and, and, you know, where you, within seconds can have your fix, I almost start thinking that when somebody's self medicating with food or cigarettes or whatever, um, if maybe that is, based in in sort of a scarcity mindset which is kind of a interesting juxtaposition where there's so much abundance and there's so many people you know that are coming from a space of scarcity that when those two collide that you know this is what creates this sort of pandemic oh that's fantastic that's that's a very interesting idea yeah Hmm. Well, my idea is too is that I love living in an abundant world, but what people don't think about is abundance requires responsibility. Because <laughs> when you, you know, when people are faced with so many choices, most people don't make any choice; they just go into paralysis mode. But if mm-hmm. you're responsible and you, you know, you take control of your life, then you you say, okay, I've got three hundred choices, so let me focus and make the best ones. You know. Yeah, I like that. And I, I think that that requires a certain level of discipline. And, you know, and I think that discipline requires a person to, to feel a little bit of pain, uh, you know, because you're going to be depriving yourself of the thing that gives you pleasure, you know, in order to have greater pleasure down the road. That's a whole other discussion we can have. <laughs> because, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, uh, there's a degree of truth to it, but mm-hmm. I think that because I've done a lot of thinking about that, you know, we you make a sacrifice and you give up, but if you program your mind the right way, you're not giving up anything. It's you really you program yourself to want the best things and to get excited about how they make you feel. But that's mm-hmm. that's a whole other step, and that does take discipline and work. And meditation, like you said. You know, what should people know about greens that may surprise them? About greens, like eating no, greens? Greens, G-R-A-I-S. Oh, greens. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, when you, when you, like, if you go back to, like, you know, the paleo diet, which, you know, I mean, that, sort of the original diet that, you know, that, that man came up on. When you look at, uh, you know, most of the things that they would eat when they would forage, it didn't include grains. It wasn't until maybe the past couple thousand years when, you know, when there was more farming that grains became part of our, you know, part of our staple. And then flash forward when, you know, you look at like all of the grains that have been genetically modified, um, you know, that's by and large what, what sustains most people. What happens with grains is that, you know, it's a, a high glycemic carbohydrate and it sort of prevents you, you know, from, if you're not burning up all of those, all of those carbohydrates, what they're going to do is end up creating belly fat and after the belly fat you can move into a metabolic syndrome which will just perpetuate obesity and cause you to gain more weight because it does drive down your metabolism so mm. 
I would say grains in a very, very, you know, slight amount. Like I personally don't eat any grains. Um, you know, I stick mostly with nuts. Well, I'm glad we, you, 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 you said what you did because there again, look at how appealing grains are made even for kids. You know, the, the, the whole grain cereal, the whole grain bread and people associated with good health, not realizing that it actually can hurt them. And, and when you talk about belly fat, I think you're referring to visceral fat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's the fat that surrounds your vital organs, and that mm -hmm. is deadly. As a matter of fact, they find that athletes who are on the surface in great shape uh, may have a lot of hidden visceral fat because athletes, when they work out a lot, are producing a lot of toxins. And the visceral fat forms to protect the organs from the toxins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, I mean, when, when you're in that state, that metabolic state, I do think that it's pretty, I think it's possible to reverse it. And I know for myself, you know, I was carrying a lot of, uh, a lot of visceral fat and a lot of belly fat. Um, and that when I adopted a ketogenic diet, that seemed to just really melt away quite literally. And my blood pressure went from 199 over 90 down to 120 over 80. So that moving off of grains and off of processed, you know, off of uh, sugars, um, you know, and processed food and, and using fat for energy rather than sugar and carbohydrates really, really made a big impact in my life. Tell us what is ketosis. Um, keto well, the, your body your body has this ability to either burn carbohydrates or burn fat, and so being in a state of ketosis is where you're using fat as energy instead of instead of of carbohydrates. So your liver is able to metabolize fat. Um, more effectively than it is able to metabolize fructose. So your liver, your liver metabolizes fructose and your and and hundreds of other things, but it also metabolizes fat. So if you remove the fructose, you move remove sugar from your diet and and high glycemic carbohydrates, your liver is able to take the fats that you're bringing in and convert those to ketone bodies. And that is what your brain will use to fuel, uh, you know, to fuel itself. Um, you know, another side benefit of adopting a ketogenic um, lifestyle is brain function. Um, and what happens is that if you, if you're in a ketogenic state, then when you sleep, your brain is able to actually go through a cerebral flush. And that's where, you know, your brain fluid will actually recycle itself and get rid of the ash and, uh, and plaque that, that would normally be in there. But if you, but if you have a diet that's high in, in sugars, particularly glucose, um, your, your brain does not have the ability to go into this cerebral flush and you get a buildup of plaque. And this plaque can be Lewy body plaque, which is, uh, which is indicative of, 
of um, of uh, dementia and um, and Alzheimer's. I love it. I love it. You flush the crap out of your brain. Yes. <laughs> it just gives new meaning to the statement. You know, you are full of shit. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. It is. And I mean, what I find interesting is like in the past couple years, they started, they started referring to, you know, these neurodegenerative conditions as diabetes type three. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. So talking to somebody who's, you know, struggling with feeling trapped in yo-yo diets, they're struggling with their weight, maybe they're discouraged, they feel defeated. What would be the first steps for them to take to begin achieving great health? Um, the first step is going to be to shift your mindset and accept that it is going to take discipline and you're going to have to deprive yourself of things that you have become addicted to or have a habit of. And you're going to have to create new habits. And I think that... I think that we're the sum of the five people closest to us. And I think that if you have people that are close to you that are supporting, you know, supporting bad eating, you know, and bad habits, that you might have to look at leveling up your circle of five. Um, because who you surround yourself with is who you are. And if you're, if you're going to make a lifestyle change, I would say map it out and come up with a plan that's going to work for you. And the first step is surround yourself with people that are going to support you on your journey. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. I totally agree with that. Now, how can people, oh, you, you touched a bit on this, but if maybe you want to expand some more, how can people transform their pain and suffering into assets? Um, I would say transforming it into an asset i'm not i'm not sure how how that works but i would say leveraging it so leveraging your pain i mean that's something that i've gotten to be pretty good at and i would give you an example if you were about to have a donut um you know and your mind is saying this is going to be a delicious tasty donut i'm going to enjoy every bite of it and so that's definitely going to trigger your pleasure zone. I think that leveraging pain, you know, to exceed that pleasure is what's going to break that habit and make you put that donut down. So if you envision yourself eating that donut and now you've gained five more pounds and now you can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror, um, you know, your triglyceride levels are up, your blood pressure is up, you're shortening your life. I mean, you could go on and on with it. But if you're, if you can, if you can associate so much so much pain with that with that habit, um, you're going to break it because it's going to exceed the pleasure. And human beings usually function in two modes: pleasure and pain, avoiding pain and seeking out pleasure. And so, if you can associate so much pain to that particular pleasure, you're going to stop doing it. I love that. And you, what you're talking about is reframing. Now, which is changing one story. So what about the, the other step, which after you've done that, to be able to frame a new habit in your mind first, mm. 
with a sense of pleasure. Uh, this is really good. <laughs> this is fantastic. Well, <clears throat> when, so at the end of, you know, once you've associated so much pain with that donut, you've deprived yourself of that donut. And now, I mean, now the actual, you know, deprivation is a cause for, a cause for you feeling good about yourself. So when you, you know, when you haven't had the donut, when you are associating not having the donut with losing more weight, being able to look at yourself in the mirror, when you reframe that experience of eating that donut and you reframe that, that experience of deprivation and shift it to pleasure, that's when you're going to start seeing habits change. I'm enjoying this game. And because <laughs> my whole thing is about changing one story, mm -hmm. I take this I mean, on a very literal level, and I believe that every word we use as a story is a story. So let's play with this for a moment. When you say deprive yourself of a donut, that in itself, the word deprived is something we want to resist because it feels like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to give something up. What if... We got rid of the word deprived, and you say, okay, I want you to consider that you are a slave to the donut. The donut is the puppet master, and you are the puppet. So now, what if you're going to subjugate or um, handcuff that donut? You know what I mean? It's like now... You're in charge in that scenario, in that story, in that narrative. That's brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I think that, that, I mean, you just, you know, you shifted my mindset just then, you know, because I do find a certain amount of, of pleasure, I guess, in associating pain to things, you know, to break habits, but... I, I think that this is something that I'm going to have to really, you know, drill down on and, and, and ponder because I, this just completely shifted things for me. Cause now it's like, yeah, so the deprivation and trying to, you know, embrace that really focusing on, yeah, being the slave to that donut and that walking away from it is freedom. You exactly. know, that you're free from it. Yeah. yeah that just, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always learning things and, and Lewis, I appreciate that. You really, yeah, that shifted, that shifted everything for me. Thank wow, you. Wow. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, uh, I was reading a book, a great book. You'll love this unless you, you might already have it. Blue fishing, you know, blue fishing. No, I don't oh, know that. Man, get it. Blue fishing, Steve Sims. He's fascinating. And he talks about, you know, like a lot of, thought leaders do about reframing our whole concept of failure. So we've, we have an educational system that screwed people up a lot because they penalize people for taking chances because you make a mistake, you fail, you get a bad grade, blah, 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 that whole concept. But if we don't use the word failure anymore, say, no, it's discovery. Hmm. So I take an action 
and I find out that that action doesn't get me the result I want. If I call it a failure, I'm not going to want, it's like putting, I don't want to put my finger on the, the hot stove. But if I say, no, I took an action, that was a good thing. And I discovered, I mean, Thomas Edison, when they said to him, you know, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know, 10,000 ways that it didn't, we, no, 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 that wasn't failure. I just discovered 999, you know, blah, 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 ways that it didn't work. That was discovery. That's the mindset that doesn't, no failure. Well, I love that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've always em- embraced failure, I guess, um, as just, you know, a natural step in, in achieving success. But I do, that really resonates with me, you know, the whole thing about discovery. Like, you discovered a way not to do it, or you discovered a way to do it differently that makes more sense, that, you know, that garners better results. I love that. <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning more in this podcast, I think, than, than, yeah, than any other podcast I've ever been on. This is, this is fun. Well, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. You know, I was thinking about, uh, Another wonderful marketer and uh, brilliant man, Alex Mendocian. Um, he has another way of, you know, g- getting you into action that we use that concept of perfection to paralyze us. Mm. And that's a way of avoiding what we perceive as failure. And he says, don't let perfect become the enemy of good. Oof. I love that. Isn't that great? Oh. Yeah. yeah, that's, I just jotted that down. <laughs> I gotta tell you, this is the first, this is the first podcast too that I've actually been feverishly taking notes. I'm like, oh, I gotta read that book. I gotta get blue fishing. I love discovery. I need discovery now. Well, well you know, really listen, it's all about growth, man. And we only, oh, yeah. we only grow through, uh, an open and positive exchange with other people. This is one of the reasons I love doing this, 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 this show because Everybody I meet brings a whole other perspective on the world. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. What is your vision for the next five years? Um, my my vision for the next five years is, I mean, things that I'd like to create and and manifest for myself. I mean, is that is that? Or sure, that and then also what you see, what you see yourself doing in the world. It's all, yeah, it's all related. Um, well, I mean, one thing that, one, one, one thing that I'd like to do is to, um, next year release another book. Um, I do have personal fitness and, and weight goals. I'd like to lose another 15 pounds. Um, you know, probably one of the biggest things is I would like to take Icon Foods public. Um, you know, and be able to distribute the company to my employees who have helped me build it. Um, I also want to adopt blockchain, uh, you know, to have transparency in all of our ingredients. Um, yeah, and I'd like to take a vacation for a whole month next year. <laughs> Fantastic. By the way, regarding blockchain, I have a great book. For you. you might already know the book, but it's called uh, The Trust Machine. Oh, no, I don't know about Uh that. (laughs) Yeah. The trust machine is about blockchain, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I started working with it about four years ago, and I think, you know, for for my business, which is food, um, I think it's super important because, I mean, 
protecting protecting consumers from you know from adulteration or food fraud you know like i know that 75 percent of all supplements out there don't even contain what they say that's on the label and it's pretty unrestricted and i think that if i think that if food companies are able to adopt blockchain where there's complete transparency from you know from basically field to factory where you can trace uh you can trace the compounds or ingredients that you're using all the way to the end product i think that that protects consumers because as it stands now i think that a food contamination pandemic is is not if it's going to happen but when and i really believe that blockchain could help prevent that i love that idea wow that's fantastic yeah, I I think just food quality and and raising raising the bar in all food ingredient companies and and consumer products. I think that that's I think that's a we're at a critical point right now where we need to do that. Mm. Tell people about your book. <laughs> well, my book is called Guy Gone Keto. It came out in May. Um, it's my first. It's my first book. Um, so I was pretty excited about it and it just sort of grew organically. Um, so I previously mentioned, uh, I was in Vegas. Um, I really didn't like what I saw in the mirror. I didn't like the person that I was, um, you know, and, and I thought that I made, I made a commitment at that point in time that this is the end. I'm going to completely change, completely shift my lifestyle. And so I started taking notes. You know, I was journaling. But more than that, I started writing about my journey. Um, and, and then just organically, it it became a book. So it, the title is Guy Gone Keto, and it's not a cookbook. It's not. It's more of a confessional and more of a guide to what it takes to make a lifestyle shift and a mindset shift, um, you know, that, and this just happens to be, you know, a ketogenic journey. So that's, I mean, that's how the book was born. Mm. And what can people expect to get from it for themselves if they get this book? I would say that they could expect to have a map um, you know, like if you set forth on a journey and this particular journey is ketogenic, if you don't have a roadmap, you can end up just going in circles. If you don't have navigation, you can end up washed up on the beach. Um, I think my book sort of lays out the principles of what it takes to, uh, to commit to a lifestyle change. And it also gives you instructions on, on what to eat and how, how to eat. But more importantly, um, how to take care of yourself and not just physically, but, but mentally and, you know, how to be successful on this, on this committed journey you're making. Mm. And what I will add to, uh, tell my storytellers is that when you're thinking about any of these changes, remember, this is not about depriving yourself. This is about standing up and, you know, claiming your freedom. Uh, I know from other people who uh, uh, use a ketogenic diet that it gives you a lot of energy and makes you feel really good. So if you don't like the way you feel, 
you might want to experiment with this. Be an interesting discovery. You might even like what you see in the mirror after that. Imagine. So what, what is your favorite book besides your own? <laughs> that's a that's a pretty loaded question um i mean i read a ton of books and i would i would say that 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 my book is definitely not my favorite book i i would say that it, it's a good book i i mean i look forward to other books that i uh you know that i'll be writing you know as i become more seasoned in it um but my favorite book my favorite book is the daily stoic so mm. i mean i read that every single day um, and have for the past three years. So it's getting pretty tattered. I always take notes and highlight uh, passages from it. But I would say that the Daily Stoic has really kept me grounded, um, kept my ego in control, and really has helped me um, continually be present. You know, it's here's another irony. Here we are in this super sophisticated technical age and we keep going back to the ancients well i think that there's such great wisdom there you know like marcus aurelius the most powerful you know at the time the most powerful you know man in the world um i mean he struggled and you know he he struggled with being present um not letting his ego take control and i think that the biggest part is memento morte is you know realizing that we're just here temporarily and that our death is around the corner and that you know we should be you know taking in every moment as though it were our last marcus aurelius guys by the way is uh, kind of considered the godfather of uh stoicism you know but my question is how did he do it without a cell phone (laughs) (laughs) probably probably quite well (laughs) over the weekend i was i i took my dog camping and i was at a cell range so i was at a cell range for for a couple days and that was that was fantastic no email no texts no calls you know just silence and you know fly fishing on a river so you know, its technology is definitely a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you see, that's part of the abundance. It requires responsibility. I hate it when people say, you know, social media is destroying. No, it's not. It's people who don't know how to use it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, social media is a powerful tool if you master it and don't become its slave. Absolutely. It's like, you know, it's anyway. What about a favorite quote? A favorite quote, that's a really good one. One that I've, that's, that I, that has stuck with me since, since I was a kid is, may the bridges you burn light your way. Um, it's kind of a harsh quote, but, you know, it's when you, when you make a, when you make a mistake or when you do somebody wrong, you know, hopefully it will light your way to, you know, not making that same mistake again. And uh, who said that? I have no idea who said that. <laughs> well, I have a friend named Google who could probably tell me. You know, I'll check it out. I'll ask him later. Um, how can people contact you, Tom? Um, well, they can contact me 
you know, through any of the social, if they just go to Guy Gone Keto, um, any of the socials, they can contact me there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If they just, you know, uh, search Tom King Icon Foods, they'll be able to find me there. Um, TomKing.com and Tom King under any of the the social medias. And uh, if they want to check out what we've got going on in our food science division, things, new things we're creating and ingredients, they can go to iconfoods.com. And by the way, guys, Tom is T-H-O-M. Yes, thank you. <laughs> iconfoods.com and, um, and keto is K-E-T-O. So Guy Gone Keto. That's the book. They can get that on Amazon? Yeah, they can get it on Amazon, and I think it's on the Guy Gone Keto site. And if they order it off the site, I will autograph it for them and um, and send it out. Beautiful. Any yeah. final thoughts for our storytellers? Um, I would say the final thought for me would be um, keep listening. <laughs> keep listening to, to change your story. Um, I think that there's a lot of wisdom there. And I think that part of making a better life for yourself is to change your story. So this is this is a fantastic podcast, and Lewis, I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, I've I've certainly learned a lot in this. So have I, my friend. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you. You made a wonderful, exciting contribution to people. Not only did you entertain them, entertain them, but they hopefully have learned something that can make a big difference in their quality of life. That's, you know, doesn't get better than that. And guys, it's free, right? You didn't pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good deal. It's a very good deal. Thanks again, my friend. Thank you. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Tom King. Wow, this was exciting for me, and I'm sure for many of you, too uplifting, eye-opening. Share this with people. Let them know that they can get this inspiration at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Definitely visit the website today and download the ebook that I've created for you. Absolutely free, Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You have no reason not to get it and every reason to get it. Number one, it will immediately begin to strengthen and improve your communication skills and you'll have a lot more fun when you are just talking every day to people. We talked about a lot of books in this particular episode. As a matter of fact, right after it, I went on to Amazon and I bought The Daily Stoic and The uh, Stoic Journal, um, both put out by Ryan Holiday. You have access to an audiobook. You can get The Daily Stoic as an audiobook, for example, absolutely free by just going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. 
another thing that I would urge you to do right away. Why? Because it will empower your life and give you another incredible asset and a tool in your toolbox to enjoy the world in a more exciting way and to have more fun all around in your life. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, well, do it and then come back and tell me about it. You know, the insights in this particular episode were exploding like popcorn and any one of them that you would seize and think about and act on will make a difference in your life. But certainly, the foundation of everything that Tom does has to do with taking control of your health and understanding specifically the role of sugar in your life, which reminds me again of a book that I referenced called Sugar Blues. It is, it's gripping. I mean, it reads like a, like a fiction novel, but it's not fiction. You'll be amazed at how sugar was introduced to our society, to the world, uh, definitely the Western world, and the impact that it's had uh, and still having on your physical health and on your mental health as well. What I would like you to think about before I get into that, I mentioned a book about blockchain and I referred to it as the trust machine. I was incorrect. It is called the truth machine. If you want to learn about blockchain and really get a solid foundation on what it is in a way that's understandable by anybody, you don't have to be a geek to get this. Pick up the truth machine. I, The author's name is not on the tip of my tongue, but certainly you'll find it on Amazon and any place else where you buy books. The thing that you should be thinking about for next week is, are you happy with your current physical condition? Have you reached your ideal body weight? Do you like the image that you see in the mirror? If you're answering no to any of these particular things that I'm talking about, really stop and take a good look at what you can do to learn more about taking control over your health, helping yourself to live a more enjoyable, longer life. And if you have any anxiety about that, if you feel kind of, I don't know where to begin, just start by asking, seriously asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.